Good morning. My name is Robin. Yes, again, I'm not Philip today. And today we're reading from 2 Corinthians 4. It starts on page 1024. If you'd like a Bible, put your hand up. The ushers have got some. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For who, sorry, for God who said, let's light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you very much, Robin. Please keep your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, hey there, everyone. My name is Adrian. It's great to see you here at church. Thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, and this is, uh, this is an awesome passage that we've come to today. Uh, this one is very close to my heart. And our Lord is such a great and glorious Saviour that as I was preparing this talk, 
I found I was just really conscious more and more of the burden of trying to do this justice. Because I really want to help you grasp and understand his goodness and his glory. I want you to see and experience and to be filled by the majesty and the surpassing perfection of Jesus Christ in all his supremacy. I'd really love to, but I'm aware that no matter how hard I try, I will struggle to fully convey just how spectacular God is and how good the knowledge of God through Jesus is, how much comfort he brings, how much confidence he provides, how much strength he offers. I'm conscious of my limitations, my unworthiness and my failings. But you see, that's actually the whole point of this passage. That's the deep comfort of this passage. I don't need to stress. Because what I feel rightly inadequate for, God is perfectly capable of. I, I guess it's a bit like trying to convey to someone the awe-inspiring nature of the Grand Canyon. Or to try and express to them the beauty of Uluru at sunset. Or maybe the majestic thunder of Victoria Falls in, in Africa. You can try and describe it, but the simplest, most effective thing would be to take you there. To show it to you. See for yourself and let it do the talking. As we look at it together, there's not much you'd need to say, is there? It's right there. Well, as we come to the Bible, we are approaching the glory and the majesty of God fully revealed on full display, we see Christ in his word. That's what we read last week. That we have direct access to know God with unveiled, uncovered hearts and minds to see the truth. We are gazing into a mirror. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. We're seeing the image of God and are being transformed by its glory to ourselves reflect that glory. And we'll see today that this confidence this reality is what drives Paul's ministry. This is how Paul can keep going. How can he endure through hardship, through rejection, through disappointment, through anguish, through his own shortcomings and failings? The glory of God is on full display through the weakness and ordinariness of his servants. And so the very simple take-home message of this passage is this. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't despair in your service of Jesus, in living for him, worshipping him, in your ministry. Don't give up. Because when do we usually give up on things? Like going to the gym or the diet or a job or a project that we're working on. When is it that we give up? When it's hard. When it's painful, when it's costly, we give up when the immediate pain and discomfort and hassle and hardship doesn't seem to have a payoff. Or it does, it's too far away. It's not worth it. But have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. As Christians, as servants of the Lord, like Paul, we do not give up. He endured, he persevered, he courageously stood firm and kept going. In fact, his last words, written while still suffering and being personally rejected for the gospel, Paul's final words in 2 Timothy 4 verse 6, coming up on the screen. This is how he finishes his life. It's not coming up on the screen. Okay, let me read it to you. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering 
and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. I fought the good fight. I've run the race. How did he keep going? How did he keep pouring himself out? He more than kept going. He ran all the way to the finish line. He didn't slow down. He charged into every battle without losing heart, without losing courage, without giving in. How? That's what our passage is all about today. Because this passage contains the most awesome, unwavering convictions that will produce in us courageous endurance. Unwavering convictions that produce courageous endurance in ministry. And the first conviction is really a reminder of what was in last week's passage. And that is to recognize it's the ministry of glory. How can you keep going in ministry? It's the ministry of glory. See, in verse 1, he's just said, since we have this ministry, it's the ministry he's mentioned in chapter 3, the ministry of glory of God revealed. It's the ministry of God's perfection, God's majesty, his splendor and his holiness. It's the ministry of revealing who God is. Proclaiming him, displaying him, shining the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. If there was ever anything worth our time and effort, if ever there was something worthwhile enough for us to endure all things for, it's the glory of God in the salvation of sinners. So the first unwavering conviction that leads to courageous endurance is to recognize it's the ministry of glory. The second is to remember everything we have is the mercy of God. Again, verse 1, we have this ministry because we were shown mercy. We have the message and the ministry of mercy to undeserving sinners, kindness to those who are God's enemies, compassion to the powerless, forgiveness to the guilty. We have this ministry of mercy because we ourselves have received mercy. So we don't give up. We don't lose heart. See, ministry is often hard. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to the service of God and his people at church. And it is hard. Paul recognizes that. God is upfront about that in the Bible. There are times when we serve in ministry and we can think this is too much. Too much is expected of me. People want too much service. The Lord's asking too much. It's over my head. I can't do it. I'm discouraged. I'm disheartened. This burden isn't fair. In fact, when I do serve, no one appreciates it. No one acknowledges me. No one even notices me. I deserve better than this. No, we don't. We don't. We deserve hell. That's the confronting reality that in Christ leads to the most comforting reassurance. We deserve hell. Everything is a mercy, including our ministry and our service. We have this ministry because we received mercy. I'm not here because I deserve this. You're not where you are because you deserve it. You're there by mercy. We're saved by God's mercy and we serve by God's mercy. It's his gift. We're forgiven and rescued and included in the kingdom by the mercy of God. And we serve and contribute and participate and give and work in the kingdom by the mercy of God. The good works we are called to do as Christians 
are God's mercy to us. They're not our gift to God. They're God's gift to us. To suffer for him is a privilege and a joy. Everything we have is God's mercy. So we do not give up. Whatever circumstances we're in, we don't give up. We don't grow faint-hearted. We don't get discouraged. We're not cowards in the face of hardship. We're joyful recipients of the mercy of Christ. Which brings us to our third unwavering conviction. Reject false gospels, but openly display the truth. You see this in verse 2. Instead, we, we don't give up, says Paul. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. See, when Paul talks about not giving up, it's less about stopping doing things and more about the temptation to find an easier way. It was true in Paul's time and it's most certainly still true in ours that some teachers, some churches don't like the confrontational truths of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, so they use sneaky, crafty, manipulative distortions to try and make themselves look good and try and make their church more appealing. Jesus said it, Paul says it, and it's still true today. It's the temptation to just pull back a little bit on what God says about how angry he is and his judgment that's coming. Let's just tone that down. Or the parts the people are uncomfortable about hearing, like a call to sexual, sexual purity. Well, that's their identity, isn't it? So let's not mention anything. Or well, what about the content of the kind of how God has made us with the call to repent and change and admit who we are and what we do is sinful and depraved? That sounds awkward. Let's not say it. False teachers, like the devil whose work they are doing, use secret, sneaky ways to make themselves look good and they change God's message, they leave out God's word, they corrupt and distort and pervert God's truth. And here's the thing, they never advertise it. They don't say, hey, I'm a false teacher setting up a false church, would you like to join? No, they work very hard to look genuine. They work very hard to appear authentic, just as the devil masquerades as an angel of light. They are wolves in sheep's clothing and they are deadly. And it's the coward's way. It's easy because the world will like what they say. They'll pat them on the back and welcome them into their club of godlessness and deception. But courageous gospel ministry means putting a target on your back with an open display of the truth. And that means two things. Accurately preaching the word of God and actively living out the word of God with a pure conscience. That is Paul's defense before God, in front of everyone. The accusations thrown against him, he doesn't give up. He keeps going. He courageously perseveres, especially because of the fourth unwavering conviction. Realize we are in a spiritual battle. See, the question gets asked, if God is now unveiled, if God is revealed and no longer hidden, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Paul is openly displaying the truth and the light of the glory of God is shining, why don't people believe? Why doesn't everyone respond? Is his ministry a failure because it has patchy results? 
Should he try something different because it's hard and it doesn't always work and he often gets kicked out of towns and thrown in prison and he's persecuted? If it's so clear, why can't everyone see it? Maybe his message is the problem and we've got to try something else. Have a look at verse 3. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are in a spiritual battle and worldly weapons won't work. Worldly thinking won't work. Worldly strategies, the latest management techniques will not work because people are spiritually blind to the truth. They are perishing in their sin and in their rebellion against God. It is a willful blindness of the heart that cannot see the truth because they will not see the truth. They scrunch their eyes and block their ears whenever the message of Jesus is proclaimed. It's a spiritual battle because the enemy is at work in them. The God of this age is a way of describing Satan. And this is the influence and the control that he has on the world and on this time and this era. He has blinded people by his lies. Just like he lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. Just like he continues to lie and deceive. Those who believe his lies have been blinded by him to the truth. And sometimes in ministry, we put the pressure on ourselves and we think, if the world liked us, then maybe the gospel would do better. And if we could make a more attractive presentation, a more appealing message, if we could make our ministry cooler or more fun, then people would respond. Or we think the reason people in, uh, you know, don't understand is because they haven't really kind of thought through the arguments. So we need to use rational arguments to help people get in, persuade them. Maybe we use historical evidence or apologetic proof or expert opinion. Let's get the philosophers and the scientists and the historians and the academics to convince people to become Christians. None of that will work. The problem isn't with the clarity or the evidence of the gospel. The problem is they're blind. And all of those efforts are like filling this building with blind people showing them a PowerPoint presentation on the benefits of seeing and urging them to give it a try. It's a spiritual battle. So Paul realizes the results don't depend on him. He doesn't have to get cooler or more popular or more awesome. He can't personally defeat Satan. He can't reach into someone's soul and remove their hard heart and their spiritual blindness. Only God can do that. I mean, that's a weight off his shoulders. The results don't depend on him So he keeps preaching Christ crucified, conquered Satan on the cross. He keeps openly demonstrating the truth. World hates it. It's the only hope they have. He keeps enduring suffering. Because of the next unwavering conviction, number five, rely on the mighty power of God's word. See, people might be blind and under the influence of the evil one, they might reject us, ignore us and even persecute us. But we don't need to make it about us. Verse 5, for we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul's confidence is not in himself. He doesn't put trust in himself. He preaches Jesus Christ as Lord and he sees himself as a slave of Jesus 
for their sake. That's why he says in Romans 1 verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. That's why he doesn't give up. He knows the gospel is powerful to save. There is nothing more powerful in the universe than when God speaks. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So how did anyone come to be a Christian? How did anyone come to believe the gospel and come to see the truth? It's not about anything about that person. And it wasn't anything about the person who taught them. It's because God spoke and created light in us, created sight in us, created faith in us. The same way God created light out of nothing in the beginning is how he has spoken and shone in our hearts to give us the light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Which leads to unwavering conviction number six, retain confidence in the extraordinary gospel. At this point, Paul gets on a roll and what comes tumbling out is just the richest expression of how stupendously good God is Despite our failings, our weakness, our inadequacy, our ordinariness, our suffering, God is good. And I have five sub-points here about the extraordinary gospel. Verse 7 is just such a beautiful verse. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. It's like he's saying the most expensive diamond in the world is stored in an old plastic takeaway container. Or the crown jewels of the United Kingdom are kept in a Woolworths shopping bag. It's just kind of, it's the cheapest throwaway thing. You know what? It's like saying the Son of God, the creator of everything, the glorious King, was contained in a manger and animal feeding trough. What an amazing reality. We possess the most extraordinary treasure in the most ordinary of vessels. Uh, Steph Robinson pointed out this week that there's a type of Japanese pottery called kintsugi where you get broken ceramics, a pot or a bowl or a vase, broken pottery, and you repair it you put it back together with gold. You see that in the picture. I think there's kind of three of them up there where they've got this broken bowl and they've fixed it together, but they use gold to fix it back together. You fix its brokenness, but you make it so much more than it was. It's now almost like a piece of art because it's been repaired by something so precious and valuable. That's like us, broken clay vessels, but now restored now joined back together. And in us is God's treasure. We aren't just repaired ourselves with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are filled and contain that treasure for others to benefit from. That's how we can endure and persevere and never give up because we possess the most extraordinary treasure which shows even more that we wield the most extraordinary power. The whole point of this analogy of jars of clay the whole reason God has chosen people like us to show mercy 
is so that his extraordinary power of salvation and light shining in the darkness is very clearly from him and not from us. Imagine Don Bradman walking out to play cricket. He scores 100, which he just did all the time, but he was using a wooden spoon or a toothpick just to show off his amazing skills. Just in case you think I've got an amazing bat, I'm going to do it with a wooden spoon. That's like God working through us. Because have you ever wondered, why doesn't God send an army of angels with lightning and earthquakes and visions of heaven every time he wants to work in someone's life? Why does he choose to work through his people? Why does he use us, ordinary lumps of clay, to grow his church and spread the gospel and build each other up and equip each other for service? Well, it's his beautiful mercy to us to include us in his purposes But it's also a spectacular demonstration of just how powerful and glorious he is. So that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Which means the more you look at yourself and realize, I am just a clay jar. I am chipped and cracked and broken and fragile and ordinary. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Because it just shows even more how good and powerful and glorious and merciful and life-giving God is. That's the point. No wonder Paul never gave up. Because the worse things got for him, the more it became obvious it's all about God. The harder things are, the less of us there is. And the more the light the shine of the gospel shines through the cracks And the treasure inside us pours out into the lives of other people. Another way of thinking about it, slightly less classy than Japanese pottery, is imagine if Paul was like a spiritual gospel piñata. He's held up for all to see. And the more he's beaten, the more he's hit, the more he's kicked around and whacked, the weaker he becomes. And actually, by the mercy of God, what pours out of him is the gift of God and the blessing in life and the joy of salvation. And who knows, maybe if he was writing Galatians today, he'd talk about the lollies of the Holy Spirit being produced in people's lives. But anyway, you see, even in this suffering, he's like, this is God at work. Because he knew we are protected by the most extraordinary defender. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Paul has been through the hardest of times. He has experienced real physical suffering, personal rejection, emotional betrayal, relational devastation, spiritual suffering, and he knows he always emerges victorious in Christ. He's afflicted in every way, but he isn't crushed. He's perplexed, but he's not in despair. He's persecuted, never abandoned, struck down, never destroyed. Even in the midst of all this, he knows that he is safe. Even as he walks, like David, through the valley of the shadow of death, he's not afraid because he is protected and defended and secure with the perfect shepherd who is our mighty fortress, Jesus Christ. Paul sees his suffering as not just something to endure, but in fact, he's following in Jesus' footsteps and achieving something glorious because he knew we are blessed with the most extraordinary privilege. What he was going through really was a demonstration of the gospel. His experience 
of rejection as well as his preaching conveyed the glory and the wonder of Jesus suffering and dying for our salvation. He says this in verse 10. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. Paul sees it as a package deal. In order to reveal and display the life that Jesus brings, the resurrection that Jesus promises, you first need to know and understand and experience his death, his sacrifice, his suffering. And sometimes people want to shortcut it and find the easy way. Can we get the glory? Can we get the life? Can we have the resurrection and the power, but without the death, without the cross, without the suffering and pain? Can we just shortcut it? That's really a way of saying, can we have Christianity without Christ? Can we have the kingdom of God, but just make it that God's not there? No, courageous Christian ministry is able to endure, able to stand firm, does not give up, because look at verse 12. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul knew his hardship wasn't pointless. It wasn't senseless. It was a privilege to be like Christ. For our suffering, our death means life for others. Then that's how he kept going. Because he knew we are filled with the most extraordinary assurance. We possess the most extraordinary treasure. We wield the most extraordinary power. We're protected by the most extraordinary defender. We are blessed with the most extraordinary privilege. And we are filled with the most extraordinary assurance and confidence. This is what drove him, verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. This is a reference back to Psalm 116, which I really wish I had time to read out for you today, but you should check it out. This afternoon, read Psalm 116. The psalmist has endured the most intense sufferings, but he is filled with the most intense thankfulness to God and confidence in God because he believes God's promises. And because he believes, he trusts, he's confident, then he speaks. Therefore, he speaks and keeps on speaking no matter what happens. It's the extraordinary confidence to keep going based on the hope of verse 14. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. No matter what suffering Paul endured, what affliction he experienced, what anguish, what persecution, what rejection. He knew that God would raise him from the dead. The God who had raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us, he says, with Jesus and present us with you. Notice that he doesn't give up. He courageously endures because he knows he will be raised from the dead no matter what they do to him. And they beheaded him is what we understand. He got his head chopped off. For following Jesus. But he says, no matter what they do to me, he will always get to be with Jesus and with the Corinthians who he loves so much. That's how selfless he is. His confidence to keep going is about the benefit his suffering brings them. 
It's doing something. It's achieving something. It's producing something really good. Verse 15, indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Paul's filled with the most extraordinary thankfulness because he knows his suffering for the gospel brings salvation and life to others. He knows his suffering for the gospel demonstrates God's glory and power. His suffering for the gospel will be undone in the resurrection to eternal life, but he's the clincher. He also knew that his hardship was renewing and regenerating him and producing for him something truly glorious. Because lastly, we see that we are being renewed for the most extraordinarily extraordinary glory. Verse 16, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. He says it again, we do not give up. Our outer person might be wearing out and breaking down and being destroyed by our inner person, our soul, our spirit, who we really are on the inside is being renewed and being refreshed and being re-energized and regenerated every day. And you know, if ever there was a person who could say their affliction was heavy and burdensome, it was Paul. Later in chapter 11, we're going to see he'll recount five times he received 39 lashes. He's been whipped, beaten, imprisoned, stoned, shipwrecked, in danger everywhere, pressured, persecuted, but he knew that in Christ, those light and momentary afflictions were producing glory. An absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory for believers. Literally, he says here, producing a surpassingly surpassing eternal weight of glory. Exceedingly exceeding. Repeats the word. And it's the word we get hyperbole from. You literally cannot overestimate or over-exaggerate how much glory is in store. You cannot overemphasize how much that glory surpasses the troubles of this life. It's impossible to compare the weight of eternal glory being achieved with these sufferings that are over in a moment. That's the eternal perspective that completely changes our outlook on serving Jesus, our outlook on life and on hardship. It fills you with joy and with peace that isn't dependent on circumstances and with a supreme confidence that doesn't rest in ourselves. Because we know, verse 18, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So therefore, let me finish with two quick implications for us. Do not give up. Don't become discouraged or frightened. Don't cease proclaiming the gospel. Don't waver in preaching the cross. Don't take shortcuts in teaching God's word. Don't hide the truth about God or what it is to be a Christian. Don't take the easy way that will make us popular, the comfortable way that everyone else is traveling. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose courage. Secondly, focus on what is unseen. Live and walk by what is spiritually true and by what God tells us 
not by what our senses or experiences say or what the world says. They are blind. They know nothing. Don't look at them and think maybe I could have some of their life and maybe I could have some of their happiness. They have nothing. We have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need to keep seeing what can't be seen, what is eternal, the true light of life and the reality of our inner renewal. So I actually want to finish today doing something a little different just as an exercise of our mind to try and do exactly this and focus on unseen things rather than seen, I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes now because we don't look at the things that are visible. They're temporary and passing away. This building, these bodies, the TV that you're watching at home, this city, this world, all the painful, stressful things in your life right now are temporary And passing away, so fix your mind, fix your soul, pay attention. The eyes of your inner self focus on what is eternal and see the light that is the glory of God and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, dying to love his people. Believe the truth that you are the container in which the potter has decided to store the eternal treasures of Jesus Christ and take hold of this confidence that no matter what happens, we will be raised from the dead to eternal life and our suffering and our hardship, these light and momentary afflictions are producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for the goodness and glory that you have revealed perfectly in Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, thank you for this treasure that your light has shone in our hearts. We see you and we know you and we know we are loved. Father, thank you for this reminder that we are jars of clay. We are ordinary, weak, easily broken. But Father, thank you that you are the one who gives strength and power and endurance and perseverance and joy and peace no matter what. Father, help us never to give up, but to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, fixing our eyes on what is eternal, what is lasting, what is glorious and what is good. Father, please work in us and even in our suffering to bring blessing to others that they be saved and have life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.